The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 134. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode from Star Trek Discovery called, not The Citadel, as we thought it was going to be, but Sukal. We'll talk about that in a second. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Two. I'm so glad we have only two episodes left in this season. <laughs> well, they could be good ones again, like we have with they, the, the Mirror they Universe could be. ones. It could be. Uh, what are the odds? So, uh, folks, <laughs> if you have not yet done so, please subscribe to Stickers of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should also hit the bell to get notifications of new episodes uh, when the, this season of Discovery is over and before the next Picard or Strange New Worlds or what have you is, it comes out. We'll be talking about all the other Star Trek that already exist, and we'll continue to go through those series as well. So be sure to stay subscribed. So I sh should mention that, yes, this episode, we were originally told that it was called The Citadel when the, all the, the, the titles were announced earlier this year. Yeah, but no, that was a movie from like the 80s about a military academy gone bad. <laughs> yes, yeah. that, that would have been actually an interesting episode. Anyway, the, they, but at the last second, they've switched it on us. So I'm not sure, this and the next one, I'm not sure why. Was this a, we're, we, we need to hide something? Or I, it's very strange. I haven't seen any discussion of it online of why the title was changed. Do you guys have any sense of why you think it might have changed? It could have been, you know, I, I wonder, now were these titles announced or were they leaked? Because, you know, sometimes that does happen where someone leaks a oh. list of titles and it turns out that maybe one of the titles was um, an early name. Like maybe the, the early name of this episode was The Citadel, but then they later changed it to Sukal. No, this was officially announced. In fact, uh, like the, the link is the Writers Guild of America is maintains a lot of these records. And so this was mm -hmm. officially listed in their records as Citadel. So yeah, I um, don't care if they change the title. I mean, at least it's not <laughs> something bizarre, like the lamb's knife cares not yeah. for the butcher's <laughs> madness to make the sanest men mad whom God's destroy. <laughs> this is true. Uh, so yeah, it, it is odd. In any case, uh, we, this is what we have a Sukal, and the, the the title is about the the this important character that we're going to encounter. Um, it does stop start exactly where the last episode ended with Giorgio's wake, uh, and for mm -hmm. the first time I think this season we don't have it starting with someone giving a log entry of some sort, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, they do have uh, they they've been trying that's, to get this. That's how much grief they're in. 
over yeah. losing Giorgio. They no one can has can can summon up this wherewithal to do a log entry. <laughs> right. They do get this the, this Kelpian ship that they we've been talking about that's at the heart of this nebula where the burn originated. Uh they've been trying to get their sensor logs remotely and they finally get a signal from it and they find out that there is a life sign on board the ship. Um Saru at this point reveals that yes, I knew all along that the Kelpian scientist from the hologram communication uh, that she, she was uh, visibly pregnant, uh, the markings on her forehead. Um, not not in the way you would think if you're a human. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm not sure where Kelpians carry their babies, but uh, not in their belly, apparently. Uh, well, you know, Zeus, Athena was born from Zeus's forehead, so. That is possible. <laughs> or maybe it was just early days in her pregnancy. Who knows? Uh, yeah, but, the, the, as a hormone changes, it causes these marks. Who knows? Yes. So the uh, he, he does deduce that the the life form it must be this child of this Kelpian yeah. woman for some reason, because it's been so long, like a hundred years. Yeah. But, but before we, so the child today would be, as we later learn, was about five years old at the time of the burn. And so the kid's 130 years old. Right. Yep. Um, the first part of this episode is we don't need to even talk Ugh. about it in specifics, but no. it's just, it just cements this perception that I've had all season that this season in particular is just emotional nurturing Star Trek. It's like we've got all these vulnerable, fragile characters that need to be constantly supported by other characters. And it's, I am sorry, I'm not interested in emotional nurturing Star Trek. I want to see bold adventures with bold people doing things. Do I want to want them to have vulnerabilities? Sure. I want to have vulnerabilities and personality quirks and insecurities, but I don't want to dwell on the latter all the stinking time. (laughs) Right. So this, this is like the land of the three Mary Sue's with even more characters beyond the Mary (laughs) Sue's needing emotional nurturing constantly. Right. It's psychological insecurity Star Trek. And it actually affects the plot later on. But I wrote down first half is Muffelins. <laughs> it's it's this is us in a, in, in a, in a, on a five year mission <laughs> exploring strange <laughs> new worlds. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can we can jump all over over all that because it is. Yeah, this is a lot of this. Yeah. Oh, you know, you're great. You're great. No, you're, you're great. You uh, really belong. Even if you don't know it, you really belong. <laughs> you know, you belong. Yes. And you have us and we have you and we're all together yeah. in this yellow Goog- submarine. Goog- Jude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they do jump to the nebula where at which point I'm thinking to myself, why haven't they gone to the nebula before? Like, why are you trying to remote access this this starship from a halfway across the galaxy? Why are you not there where it would presumably be faster and easier? To be fair, they actually did the right thing and actually communicated with the Admiral before. <laughs> yes, they did. Going in. Yeah. You know, so they actually, you know, checked in with Starfleet said, hey, can we do this instead of just, you know, like doing this I do. and then asking for. Yeah. Forgiveness later. That we're also told that the Vance says that Osira and the Admiral chain and Admiral Emerald chain are going near Saru's planet the, of uh, Kamina, uh, in or, it, it, which they believe is a way to distract Saru from his mission. That's the ocean planet where they make the clones, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. With the really long necks. Yes. Kaminar, um, <laughs> not Camino. And then he said, he said Camino. So and then J- Django and Boba will be there, and that will be the book of Boba yep. Fett. For mm, it. No. I love Boba. That's really good stuff. <laughs> it's great in your tea. 
so they jump to the nebula. <laughs> We're really getting way off. Uh, <laughs> Saru takes the ship in. So we've clearly been told that Saru's uh, emotions are going to interfere with his judgment um, because of Kelpians uh, and mm-hmm. involved here. And so he's going to take oh, risks. He's such a racist. <laughs> yeah, right. He yeah, doesn't do it for other people. Most racist captain ever. So uh, they risk discovery going into a, a storm in a nebula. I, I was thinking, like, I don't know what the phenomena is that they're flying through, but it's not a nebula. <laughs> Like, yeah, well, it I mean, it's like a nebula and a super gigantic asteroid field, too. I mean, re- what it really looks t- like to me is a planetary formation nebula. Right. Where mm-hmm. you have all this gas and dust and rocks that are swirling around, and that's going to result in gravitational binding producing planets eventually. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's dangerous and there's all kinds of radiation and other stuff. Which ups the ante. Oh, specifically ionizing radiation. And I like the fact they got this one right. They <laughs> didn't. They Ionizing radiation is a thing. It is not a made up kind of radiation. And it really <laughs> will do genetic damage. Uh, what, what ionizing radiation is, is uh, radiation... Um, and this can be alpha particles, which are helium nuclei. It can be... Uh, it can be electrons and positrons. It can be photons. But the key is um, it's radiation that's strong enough, has enough energy to knock electrons out of their orbitals and thus create ions. And the reason that it's dangerous is if it's strong enough to knock electrons out of their orbitals and create ions, then it is strong enough to break the molecular bonds between atoms and it thus can do damage to your tissues and your DNA and things like that. And I and I like that for once, and this wasn't always the case even in Discovery, for once we have a fairly realistic depiction of radiation poisoning, where it's like, yeah, there's not a magic moment where it suddenly becomes too much, and otherwise you're fine. Instead, when Book goes into that, he's got to come back and do like a couple of hours of DNA resequencing. Right, right. Yeah, so that's what happens is they, Book says, Discovery's too big, too, this, you know, why risk the entire ship? Let me take my ship uh, in uh, because it can take the battering. It's reconfigurable, which is yeah, the, like it, that cool if, thing. If the asteroids smash it apart, which they do, it can just reform. <laughs> yeah, I love that ship. That's pretty good. Which actually cool. looks really cool. Yeah. yeah, it's cool watching him fly in and the ships constantly switching back and forth. And yeah. so he does fly in. His, his his shields start failing. He starts to get radiation poisoning. He, but he does get sensor readings and gets out. And it turns out that the the Kelpian ship called the Kiath. It crashed into a planet that's basically one big ball of dilithium. It, you know, it, it it would if they could somehow harvest this planet, it would solve the dilithium crisis that the the, the galaxy is in now. Um, the whole planet is, and so this is when they decide we may have just found the source of the burn. And I'm thinking, wasn't this Duh. the whole point why you were here? Yeah, <laughs> like why is why are you surprised by this? <laughs> uh, so uh, Vance. Yeah, so Vance gives them his okay. They're, Starfleet's going to protect Keminar while you guys are doing this here. You know, we'll keep Osira yeah. busy. So they they, think. they make they make a point that Osira wants the spore drive and the dilithium store that that uh, Discovery has, and so she's trying to bait Discovery to come to Kaminar, just like she baited Book to go to his planet. Meanwhile, it turns out there's a design flaw at Utopia Shipyards. 
Which is what? Be, be, because uh, on the captain's chair, there's a little burr oh, right. under the left handle, and it's apparently become a tradition among Starfleet captains that you press on that burr to help yourself stay centered in the moment when there's a crisis. And so since Tilly is now first officer, Michael is like, you belong in that chair, Tilly. And now I've got to tell you about the secret design flaw burr that you can press your finger on in the crisis that's just about to happen. So, which, which, by the way, that did not look like a burr that not, I've ever seen. It no. looks like a, it looks like a screw that you know, like one of those round-headed yeah. top screws yeah. that just didn't go all the way in. It was, That's literally what it looked like. Because burr, I think, is something sharp. You're supposed to press the burr to remind you to stay in the moment. I don't know. It was some kind of nonsense. It was kind of dumb. Yeah. It was, and, and supposedly, it was, you know, the Shinjo it had been, they'd been like basically worn down to a right. divot. And and more tell tell without showing they burnham tells book she's worried about saru that he's not going to be objective or be able to make the hard call like just show us them not being able to make the hard call we'll be able to figure it out <laughs> you know what i mean well like, like like that's like that's you know the problem that burnham hasn't had to worry about oh wait she does that all the time right. she can't be objective either so uh but yeah like you said we have a lot of these scenes of people talking about their feelings you belong in that chair tilly Hugh, you have people here who need you. Don't go, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's lots of that. Um, anyway, skipping ahead, skipping ahead, Brother Maynard. They have four hours before the radiation <laughs> will kill them, and Discovery has to be back in three hours. Well, it's going to come back in three hours. Spoilers, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, I mean, come on. Like, the, the obviously. You got the ticking clock that yes, goes off. Yes, you know, the, it, it, it's, they're not going to be back in plenty of time. Anyway, uh, Burnham and Culber materialize in the ship on the surface, they think uh, of this planet, the crashed ship, but instead they're in a snowy forest and Burnham is suddenly a trill. Whose woods woods these are? I think I know. Yes. Well, they have many uh, miles to go before they sleep. So uh, Culber is a, it looks Bajoran and Saru shows up and here we see Doug Jones sans prosthetic. I think for the first time ever on film. (laughs) I think think, though, I think he's been in things where he's, he's, he's been, you know, small parts or whatever outside of prosthetics, but he's kind of a different looking character just in person, isn't he? (laughs) It's fascinating because you get to see him, you have expressions on his face, you know, as he acts. And we, we got to see, they, they like doing this on Star Trek for characters who are net, who are always in makeup. They like finding ways to let them, let them out of the makeup for an episode. Uh, we saw this, um, in more than once in Deep Space Nine, uh, particularly in the 20th century parallel reality, Benny, uh, whatever his name was, flashback episodes, Tears of the Prophets or whatever. Where and where we got to see, you know, uh, the actors who played Ducat and Wayun and uh, and Quark and and, and, Nana, Warf, yeah. and, and yeah. Odo in human form without all the prosthetics. And so this is Doug Jones's chance now. Yes, yes, that's it. And he's so he gets two episodes out of the eight this season to or however many does I forget now. And to, well, he doesn't have to wear the boots too that keep his heels off the ground. He remarks, my heels are touching the ground. Yes, uh, it, they figure out pretty quickly. They're in a on a holodeck in a training holo program. Not as quickly as I did, but they <laughs> yeah. get there eventually. <laughs> right. I, I, I'm unclear why the holo program makes them look like 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 why oh, does it, say, why does it they change their appearance later oh. they, they they explain that they say that 
eventually it's explained that by characters who were in the holographic environment that are there to train and educate and socialize the Kelpian child who's the only survivor of the expedition, that it was thought that when rescue eventually arrives, it could be disturbing for the child whose name is Sokal, so that's uh, Sukal, so that's the episode title. Um, it could be disturbing for him because he's got this childlike mind, and so the appearance of anybody beaming into this environment is masked holographically to make it more familiar to him until he can adjust to the idea. But there are human holograms, so why I change know, them to that's, drill that's, and? That's the point at which it it is breaking down. But because, I mean, you can kind of excuse it because this program is breaking down anyway. It's been running for 130 years or 125 years with no reset. And it's gradually been decaying over time. And so it's it's glitching and making bad decisions. Also, it doesn't change them. It just masks their appearance. So Saru... Would Why not. do his heels touch the ground? Yes. I assume because I assume that it is creating holographic heels for him to mimic a human foot so that he'll have a more human-like gait. At least th- that's the best I can do with it. <laughs> but um, I don't know that the writers thought it through that far. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So they do find this. They walk to the woods. They find this decaying building, which is presumably the Citadel of the original title. Uh, it It. It's actually they filmed it in a uh, abandoned penitentiary in uh, Ontario, I guess, is the, where it was filmed. Uh, in find inside, they find the Kelpian, this Sukal, uh, who's afraid of them, uh, who thinks that they're holograms. But they also find this locked door that's that's locked from the outside uh, that opens. Mm, there's re- there's Chekhov's door. Yes, well, it does open in response to his fear, and the monster, quote unquote, inside awakes. Um. So Burnham now speculates that Sukal doesn't even know he's living in a simulation. He's basically, um, oh, what's the movie? The, the the Jim Carrey movie. The Truman Show. Truman Show, right, right. So it's kind of a, a, a sort of Truman Show. Well, he may suggest that, but it's going to turn out the child does know that he's in a simulation. Um, also, one thing I like is they approach the Citadel. It's a giant step well. Or at least they're surrounded by a giant step well. And those are real things. There's, these really exist in the world. Now, this one isn't particularly well lit. It's kind of dim. But it's neat to see them incorporate this. What a step well is, is a, it's a water reservoir where the water flows down to the center in steps. And Burnham in the episode says it's used by a lot of pre-warp cultures to store water and that's true here on Earth. It, I mean, I can't speak for other planets, but here on Earth, <laughs> it's, you know, you'll find step wells in East Asia, for example. Right. Yeah. It looked like an Escher painting, though, because it was yes. all broken up and everything. So yeah. it doesn't, they don't line up as well as you right. would expect. But it's a cool visual. It is. It yeah, was, it, it was, it was, I, I like the, the, the sets in this one. The production design in this one was, was pretty good. They, they do a good job with it. Um, discovery on the outside of the of the nebula, which is they're redoing their they're rebuilding their shield generators or something like that. That's what's taking so long. Why they have to wait out there? Uh, they detect a Federation starship approaching. So, but it doesn't respond to hails. Dun dun dun. Hugh and Saru encounter some more holograms that give them the exposition they need to understand what's going on. Uh, the child has been alone for 125 years. Uh, this is the way they find out about their true appearance being altered. Meanwhile, Michael had stayed behind to kind of watch the door. 
they she has no weapons. They're all their, their weapons are have been removed, and <laughs> they're very and, and and their tricorders and communicators and the med- well, they're, they're, they haven't been removed. They've been masked. They they they, they say that they've been covered because like, we we find out that yes, Discovery can hear them, so that they still have the communicators and everything, but they can't get at them because it's underneath the holographic right, image stuff. Right. And uh, they also have uh, radiation medicine boosters that they're supposed to be taking that they can't. So they're going to start suffer radiation poisoning uh, effects soon. But she stayed behind to watch the door for this, whatever the monster is. I hope I hope one of those is um, is iodine. <laughs> yeah. Because because that actually I mean, that actually works as a, for a certain type of radiation poisoning. Uh, the ionizing radiation, the if you get radioactive iodine in your body, it will go to your thyroid and kill the cells in your thyroid. So what you do is you, as a prophylactic, is you take non-radioactive iodine pills so that it fills up your thyroid's iodine store. And therefore, when the radioactive iodine comes into your body, your body says, oh, sorry, we're already full of iodine. Let's just pass this on through the system. Oh. And and so that's why if there's a nuclear bomb, you want some iodine pill that goes off in your area. You want some iodine pills on store so that you could uh, you could do that. Or barring that, <laughs> you want some kelp because kelp is high in iodine. Yeah. Oh. So well, I'm, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to stock up on iodine because I live about five miles from a Minuteman three silo. So <laughs> you would be a convenient target okay. if, uh, oh. if a uh, nuclear bomb is dropped on the United States. In, in, in that case, another tip, uh, when you're showering after the bomb goes off, because you want to shower to get as much of the particles off your outer skin as possible, <laughs> it, do use soap and shampoo, but do not use conditioner because <laughs> the conditioner will help seal any remaining particles in your hair. Well, that's what, can you get just regular shampoo anymore? Are they, yeah, aren't they all just yeah. two or in ones now? Ju- no. just, just use bar soap on your head if you there need you to. There you go. <laughs> Good tips, folks. These, you don't get these tips on any other Star Trek podcast. So no, I would imagine exactly. not. <laughs> uh, interesting kelp, because that, that is a radiation treatment given the kelpians. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep, exactly. I, I, so this the creature, the monster, I thought this was a really cruel, cool creature effect they had going here. It has like this, mm-hmm. it's a kelp Speaking monster. Speaking of kelp, yeah. Yeah, it's a, and, the, yeah. and it's sort of all this kelp flows around it in a sort of semi-smoky fashion. Yeah, it's like a humanoid surrounded by a bunch of floaty kelpy stuff made out of ashes. Yeah, I I, I thought it was kind of cool. In in any case, it chases Michael, uh, who falls, but then falls upward or something like that. Like because was... the gravity is glitching, she falls upward to the ceiling, and that's where she meets the child. And 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 he's like, "Are you a program?" And she decides to run with it, and is like, "Yes, I'm a program. I'm here to teach you socialization." <laughs> right, which is ironic <laughs> given who, who she is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, meanwhile, it turns out that the Federation sh- ship, quote unquote, that's approaching is Osiris' sh- ship. Uh, surprise! Um, and we're book says so they mutu- they mutually cloak on each other, right? Because yeah. apparently <laughs> the Algernon Treaty is is not in effect anymore. Uh, well, and and we didn't know that. Discovery had a cloak until the ship is there. But if you had a cloak, why did as soon as you had a question, why didn't you cloak immediately? Why haven't you been cloaked in other situations since the refit? Never exactly. Because uh, the writers didn't write uh, it. <laughs> it's too bad that treaty's not there anymore. I want to send some flowers for Algeron. <laughs> oh, so uh, book says that uh, Osiris must have used a transwarp conduit, which is crazy. 
what is it about transrope conduits again that they're not using they're, them? They're sort of dangerous and unstable. Okay, okay. Yeah, so Voyager's the last uh, Federation ship we know that used it to get home. Um, so, so they, yeah, they, they, they can't jump. Spore jump cloaked. So, uh, yet another. I don't. Who knows why? But here's a yet another reason that the cloak well, is just like they can't fire their weapons while cloaked. They can't have the shields up while cloaked. So, I mean, yeah. it's probably the same kind of uses routine. too much energy. Yeah. Yeah. However, instead of cloak and just sit there, how about cloak and proceed away from the <laughs> enemy ship? Yeah. Don't sit yeah. in the same spot. That doesn't like hiding. It's like, it's like putting a blanket over your head saying, I'm hiding. Don't do that. You can't see me. You can't see me. <laughs> Uh, so Saru and Culber, meanwhile, are are wandering around and they find the, the Sukal's nest home, you know, his, his little space that he's made for himself. Uh, that's where they find his name is Sukal, which means beloved gift. Uh, and, and it's a it's a tradition, apparently, in Kelpian society. If you have a great disaster, the next kid born after that gets called beloved gift, which is actually kind of a neat idea. It's a neat yeah. like, a tradition. Um, there's a hologram of an of a Kelpian elder who uh, is apparently his job is to teach Kelpian traditions and customs and history. Uh, sing lullabies. You sing lullabies mm-hmm. and uh, read fairy tales. And they learn that Sukal's mother created the whole hollow environment <sighs> to raise and protect the child after she died. Which is... Dr. Issa, of course, this whole world is just for the sake of the child. And I'm going, duh, duh. I knew that 20 minutes ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a cool idea. If you have hollow technology, you're dying, you have a child that needs to be taken care of. Yeah, hollow deck creation to, to take care of the child yeah. until they're grown. That makes in, sense. In the, in the past, we had feral children raised by wolves. Here we've got a kid who's been raised by iPads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if you have... Like the, a lot of modern children. Maybe the, if, the, yeah. if the EMH, you get a, the EMH raises the... That would, now, that would have been interesting if it was the EMH raising the child all this time. You have Robert oh, Picardo be, That would be hilarious to throw, get Robert Picardo in for this. That would have been awesome. Uh, so I would, <laughs> uh, that would have changed this whole episode for me. I would have loved it. Anyway, uh, when... Uh, oh, he, he also has got memories of being with his family. So Michael's talking to him and it's like trying to get him to remember family and the concept of family. And she's nudging her way towards, do you remember anything before the burn? And like, maybe did you cause it? <laughs> right. And, yeah. and he's like, well, I remember being in the water environment in the program with my family and we were harvesting kelp as kelpians it's like really you want to be that on the nose about it when we first saw kaminar and that we should we see them on the beach harvesting the kelp i'm going they're kelpians and they're harvesting kelp you know i mean living in california if you go down to the beach you see kelp because they're off the coast of southern california same here there are kelp forests yeah and um and, you know, you go to a Japanese restaurant, you may eat some kelp. Uh, kelp is very familiar, but I really am a little surprised they went there to have Kelpians <laughs> actually harvesting kelp. And then I'm I'm even more surprised they'd be explicit about it in this episode, not just showing us them harp- harvesting kelp, but saying we're harvesting kelp. Well, as humans, we harvest hums. That's why we're yeah. called humans. Uh, hummus, yeah. We harvest hummus. hummus. That's yes. why we're humans. That's how we're humans. <laughs> yeah. uh, I know. Human, hummus, dirt. But from dirt show, uh, we came. Um, so, I was thinking of the food, but. Right, right, right. No, no. But also made me think of the hummus, humble. Uh, so when Burnham does try to talk to him about the outside and the before time, 
he gets upset and tries to reset the hologram, at which point she pretends to reset. Reset, reset her. Yeah, right. But then she says... I, my programming is unstable. Um, maybe you could tell me the overall reboot command. <laughs> right. With not any as it is. At, <laughs> at that point, he, he doesn't want to tell her the, the off command for the hol- for the holographic environment. He gets afraid. And, and it's what it's going to turn out to be. And this is stupid. This is really stupid, but what it's going to turn out to be, is he has to face his greatest fear, which is the holographically generated monster. And that's the off command for the holographic environment. Allow me to explain precisely why this is stupid. <laughs> the, Please do. <laughs> n- not only is that dumb as an off command, face your greatest fear as an off command. If I'm in an emergency situation, I don't want to face something even scarier to shut off the program if the safeties are off. So that's dumb right there. But the holographic characters that are running the show here are aware that, um, that rescue is likely to come. They've been expecting rescue all the way along. They didn't think it was going to take 125 years to get here. And so once the holographic characters recognize that Saru and Culber are the rescuers, it changes the dynamic in the program. So the program is aware of its status as a caretaker just until rescuers show up. But then they, they explain, but he doesn't, it, because it's a Kelpian custom, it's some kind of rite of passage, he doesn't get to leave until the he faces his greatest fear, which is so, and neither does anybody else, which is so stupid because if you're waiting for rescue, you're in a dangerous, bad environment. You want the child to be taken out of this environment and returned to safety as soon as possible. Yes. Imposing manly rites of passage before he gets to do that <laughs> is ridiculous. Yes, that that part was ridiculous. And the, the only the only part I would headcanon this to make this even remotely make sense is that this is part of the damage of the program. Yeah, that's the only. But thing that's that makes literally. Sense. But it does not say that in the episode. It does not imply that in the episode, other than the you know other parts of the program being broken. That's total headcan my part to try to make any sense of what is basically bad writing. Because, and notice once again, it's bad writing in the service of an emotional, you know, oh, gotta confront your worst fear, you know, sappy character drama thing. So meanwhile, Tilly is facing down Osira, and I, I speaking, speaking I of like bad this. emotional. Well, <laughs> I did like this the sequence because Tilly was good, but it turns Tilly's insecurities on their head. Like you normally, you'd have Tilly like, oh, Osira tries to like mock her and undermine her confidence, and Tilly doesn't fall for it. She actually she turns it on her and gets to tell Osira that you're projecting your insecurities on yeah, me. I love that line about their 19th century earth psychologist would have a field day with you and projection. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and and without, without naming the psychiatrist. And then when Osira doesn't take the bait till he is like, okay, passing on from Sigmund Freud, here's the deal. And I like the writing. Now I don't like the obsessive focusing on her pressing the screw on the bottom of the armrest. If you cut all that out, this would have been an awesome scene where Tilly, who we know is insecure, sucks it up and deals in an effective manner with the person on the other side of the phone connection. And and I loved how the writing of what Tilly says to Osira 
and how she is professional and commanding and giving pushback. And I like the actress's performance. Um, if you just took out that constant harping on this little screw under the under the armrest, it would have been a wonderful scene. Right. Yeah. As it was, it was only a, a really good scene. Yeah. I mean, Tilly's character really shows up here where uh, basically it's like, OK, I'm tired of this. What do you want? <laughs> right. You know, it's just I'm done with you. You know, yeah. you I, get I'm, I'm going to sit here and banter all day. But what do you want? Yeah. You, you <laughs> get to see flashes of how she can be a captain, which is her career goal, and how in a mirror universe, she could be Captain Killy. As that's going on, Sukal gets faced with that the the kelp monster from his book. And his fe- in his fear, he reacts with, I'm going to use the words, some kind of energy pulse <laughs> that is felt outside the ne- nebula and destabilizes the dilithium in Discovery's warp core, like the burn, and which point we are we are being told that the burn was caused by the fear of this kid oh, 125 oh. years ago. Sukal had a temper tantrum 125 years ago, and that caused it. I'm very unhappy about this. Um, the burn would be far more interesting if it was a deliberate attack on the part of some group, as opposed to a five-year-old's temper tantrum set it off and destroyed civilization across the galaxy. Really? That's the answer? And now the answer is going to, we're going to have, and we don't get it in this episode, but now it's going to be a soothing emotional support, face your fear, ending to this plot and it's just ah, i'm sick of therapeutic star trek well you know i i see i i thought when they you know they had this the ship had crashed at the location of the star of the burn it was going to be well something they tried to do to escape yeah triggered it that would would be a much more interesting thing because then you could have the ticking clock of oh the ship now that there's rescuers on it is going to try to escape again automatically oh no they're not going to do that Instead, now it's, well, we have to soothe his feelings. You know what this re- like, oh, no. reminded me of was the motion picture. When Spock compares Vija to a child and McCoy says, well, your child is having a temper tantrum that's going to destroy the uh, the earth, uh, which is kind of funny. Like, I, I don't know. But that they, was a much better plot line well, I than mean, this is. Even, yeah, even yeah, the motion picture was a better plot line. Uh, yeah. That's a, I'm not saying the motion picture was a great movie. It wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't a great movie, but it's still a better plot line than this. It was a long movie. Yes, yes it, it was. That was With lots, of, lots of staring <laughs> and You can go back and listen to our impressions on it in <laughs> yes. a previous episode. We have talked about it. Uh, so to prevent Osiris from getting Discovery, Tilly's going to jump the ship away. Uh, while Book takes his ship into the nebula to rescue the, uh, the away team. And, and and by the way, this is this is where I say that Mafilins caused Discovery to be captured because Stamets sits there for a good minute arguing with her about, I'm not going to let us jump. I'm not going to let us do this. And leave you behind. Yeah. Leave Paul. Yeah. I can't leave you behind. And it's like, get your butt in that score chamber, <laughs> jump out of there and then argue. <laughs> I also I also like how Tilly is straight up with Osira. I will detonate this ship rather than let you have it. You are never going to have this ship. Right. Uh, but before they can jump, uh, the Emerald Chain soldiers party. beam aboard. Which, why didn't they just beam aboard when they got there? I'm not sure what this was all about. Because Osira was playing with her. Yeah. They take control. They put some kind of thing on top of uh, Stamets' head, some little crown thing, that mind control thing. Um 
While so they act- can use him to use the spore drive. Right. While actual tentacles extend from Osiris' ship and ensnare <laughs> Discovery uh, so that when Discovery jumps, they all go together, uh, which is what happens eventually. Um, Saru asks Michael to stay to convince Sukal to leave while he and Hugh go with Book back to Discovery to take command because Osiris out there. But Burnham's like, no, you you have more of a connection with him. You can make a connection with Sukal that I can't. Like, so, because Saru is like, I'm captain. I have to be on the ship. And Burnham's like, no, this is more important. You have to make a connection with this guy so he doesn't cause another burn uh, and or worse. And so uh, Hugh then says he's staying as well because reasons. Um, I wonder, this, are we going to, is Hugh going to sacrifice himself again? Are we setting ourselves up for that emotional thing? Well, that would be okay with me. Um, <laughs> but, but he, I mean, he, he does have some logic in that he, so th- there's actually logic for all three of them staying. Michael is a xenoanthropologist and, um, and uh, Saru is a Kelpian and understands Kelpian psychology from the inside, while uh, Culber has, is a trained medical professional and has also spent time uh, in extreme isolation and understands the psychology of extreme isolation. So there's actually, re- you, you've got a good argument for any of them staying. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, meanwhile, uh, Adira stowed away on Book's ship and uh, unbeknownst to him and beams down to bring uh, radiation medication for the for the the away team that they've been needing uh, so that they can stay. Burnham beams up to the ship, uh, to book ship. And as they uh, exit the nebula, about to get to Discovery, that's when uh, Osira jumps Discovery and her ship away from the nebula. Presumably, she says, to Starfleet headquarters, headquarters, Federation headquarters to, to to do damage. And that's where we end the episode and we have our cliffhanger for next time. Uh, and that's it. Um, any any last notes, thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? So Sukal is actually played by an actor you, you've seen all over the place. Uh, Bill Irwin is his name. He's one of those actors you see everywhere. Probably one of his bigger roles was uh, the movie Eight Men Out, which was about the 1919 Black Sox scandal where they, they threw the World Series. And he was his name. The actor uh, he played Eddie Collins, who was the, the, like the one player on the team who was not involved in the scandal. So he was allowed to continue in baseball afterwards, even though the rest of the players weren't. But he's been in Hot Shots. He's been all over TV. I mean, he's an actor. He's one of those kind of kind of sort of goofy looking guys that you see you know, usually in the behind the scenes somewhere as a minor character or something yeah. like that. I like to say of actors like that, he works. He just he does he a, lot of work. a lot. A yeah. lot. Um, yeah, he guest stars on a lot of series. And then there, there also is a, a brief mention where uh, Book's ship is being worked on after the first time he flies through the nebula and that the dots are working on it. The, the droids. Oh, right. Yes, that's right. Because remember, Ephraim and Dot, Dot is the droids that work on the ships. We need to see more of the dots. I like the dots. We saw them an episode or so ago. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I we, saw, we saw the, the mirror image version of them. Uh, they need to be like R2-D2, like, like real characters, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> well, in in that short trek, Dot is a real. Character. I know, I know. Yeah. I want, I want more of that. Anyway, J- Jimmy, what, what do you do? You have any final thoughts on this episode? So, I'm not entirely sold on the idea that this character should be as childlike as he is. Um, if he's been in this environment, whose purpose is to train him, 
and socialize him for 125 years? Really? And this is where he's at? I mean, I know it's glitching now, but we don't have any indication it was glitching from the beginning. Um, I would expect it to be able to, to train him into a mature human being. So I don't, I'm not really on board with that. Um, not given the time parameters they've established, if it was different and they, if they said this program was broken from the beginning because of how quickly it was cobbled together, then I would be more understanding, but they haven't established that for us. Um, I was interested to discover when the storyteller hologram who's Kelpian sings a lullaby, we learned that Kelpian is a click language. Um, so one of the, uh, one of the phonemes in Kelpian is, and they weave that into words just like we would. Um, and I, and there are languages here on earth that do that. Zosa is one of them, for example. Um, and if you ever list, watch the movie, uh, the gods must be crazy. Mm-hmm. You can hear a <laughs> click, you can hear a click language in action. Yes. Yes. The, uh, the Bushman. Uh, in that. All right. So, um, so was that a click or just a smack? That was my lip smack. Yeah, hopefully it will be taken <laughs> out by my editing software and you won't have to. No, hear me no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I usually edit a lot of that out, but now I have to leave yours oh. in Jimmy. You leave <laughs> that one in. By the way, I, I don't like how insubordinate Michael and Culber are with respect to Saru. We, we have not seen him ha- display bad judgment. Yet, just because there's a Kelpian involved. And if I were him, I would resent the implication strongly. And I would say, look, I'm not going to accuse you of having uh, bad judgment, which you have not demonstrated just because another human is involved. Uh, Do not make such assumptions about me. And I don't like how everyone, including the Admiral, is suspicious of Saru just because there's another Kelpian involved and he hasn't seen one in a long time. It's not like he's the last Time Lord and he (laughs) thinks he's the only one. He knows there's a whole planet of Kelpians out there. He knows they've been members of the Federation. So he's not the last of his kind. There's no reason for him to go crazy upon the discovery of another Kelpian. Well, well, again, the whole issue of, you know, bad judgment, it, it's not like he started a whole war with the Klingons off of a you know, a <laughs> right. first contact situation at the binary stars or something. Uh, projection isn't just for humans, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Or it is for humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, we, have, we have not seen another Starfleet captain whose judgments is so constantly suspect by others in, in Star Trek. Like, it's just it's not not uh, Janeway, not. You know, uh, uh, anyone well, who was there to question her. I mean, right, right. yeah, uh, from above anyway. Uh, yeah, or not Janeway, below. not 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 Cisco, not Archer, not Picard, not Kirk. Yeah, Saru's really getting the short end of the stick. Yeah, yeah. Not even not even Pike. You know, in this own in this series. You know, right? They gave Pike the benefit of the doubt the whole way through. But yeah. All right. So let's wrap things up there. Uh, we do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including. Roger F, Bart S, Derek V, Carl K, and Thomas A. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And now is a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new monthly Patreon pledge at sqpn.com slash give, 
the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if you give, for example, $10 per month after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows, including this one, which makes your gift go even further. So if you've been thinking about becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. So that's it from us. What did you think of Sukal? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time. We'll be discussing the next episode of Star Trek Discovery, which I think is still called The Good of the People, but they might have changed that one too. Uh, Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Just two more to go. <laughs> Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Can we just give up on the rest of the, the last two episodes and go watch, like, yeah, you know, TNG need, or something? We, we need closure. <laughs> <laughs> we got we to gotta, we gotta watch it out. Maybe it could be good. I'm, I'm holding out hope. Hope reigns. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, projection isn't just for humans. <laughs>